And in our reading today, uh, the final one in this uh, eight-week track that we've been in, uh, it's very interesting because Paul unloads this bit of information uh, at the very end of the, what I assume is the last piece of correspondence uh, to his friend and student, Timothy. And he unloads this piece of information about his days here on earth coming to a close. And in so our reading today, uh, Paul reflects back on a life uh, that he has lived. And so for the George Harrison fans, today's sermon is entitled, The Art of Dying. That's a deep cut. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, very short today. Uh, Paul writes, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, we love that word. There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's pray. Father, this text invites us to reflect on our lives, the lives that we are living, and I pray that in these simple words that we've read just now that you would speak to us in ways that we need to hear, help us to listen And it's in your name that we pray and everyone said, amen. I don't know how you get when you sense or when you know that something is coming to a close. Uh, The end is in sight. I don't know how you respond. I'm a bit nostalgic, uh, but when you know that things are coming to an end, like what do you do? How do you behave? Um, Like the last day of your previous job, like what was that like for you? You know, And if it was a terrible job, I don't know if that was a great day for you, or maybe it was a fantastic day. But when you knew that that job was coming to a close, how did you uh, behave? Or the last, your last day in a particular city or in a particular home uh, before you moved, you know? Um, what was that like for you? This person's calling in to let us know. It's God. He said we should have girls at Hillman. Uh, so that's Dead Poets Society thing. Um, or the last, your last day as a single person before your wedding. What was that like for you, if you remember that? What was it like to move from one way of living and into a new way of living? So when you know things are coming to an end, like how do you... How do you respond? What do you do? How do you behave? For me, again, I'm a bit of a nostalgic person. So for me, everything slows down a bit. And I look around at uh, everything just for the last time, you know. Uh, I want to walk through this room one more time. Or I want to look at this picture one more time. Or I want to speak to this person one last uh, time. For those of you who grew up, for those of you who are my age and older, uh, for those of you who grew up in the days when you had the yearbook signing days at your high school, and uh, man, I hated that. But uh, okay, I'll sign your yearbook. Um, but remember, the, the most common used phrase would be, I'll see you in the fall, or something like that. You know, I'll see you, see you next year. 
And that was like literally true. There was no way to connect other than I'm going to have to make the trek to your house in order to see you or pick up the phone and call you. Otherwise, I have no idea what you're doing all summer. And so do you guys remember this? If you're old enough, you came back to school in September, not in the 1st of August. And, uh, you know, and you spent the first month just catching up. Like, what did you do? Where did you work? What did you do all summer? Yeah. So that's the way it was for me. Just like, let me walk through this scene, this room, this conversation uh, one more time. I took this picture uh, behind me that you see uh, on the very last Sunday in our space downtown. Uh, We had to set up and take down every single Sunday, um, which is the number one reason we bought this building. (laughs) And uh, there's a lot of number one reasons, and that's one of them. But uh, I remember, like, that was the last time we had finished stacking all the chairs, or you guys really did all that, and then we cleaned up the coffee, and we just got it all ready to, to leave. And so I walked up on the deck and took just one more picture one more time. But it was three years of our church's life, and I felt like it deserved a moment. You know, that's me. Three years before I took this picture, I took this next picture, which was in our old space uptown. Uh, As we were moving out of that, having spent 10 years in that location, and again, that was a bit nostalgic. It was fun to walk around one more time and to talk about, you know, how my kids had grown up there and how uh, we, you know, did all these things in this part of the building, and this was a cool memory, and whatever. You like that? Do you do that? Do you sit with it one more time? Our son is graduating this spring, <laughs> so we're in the final eight months of an 18-year run, so I'm looking around a lot, taking it all in as much as I can, because that day is going to come where the, all that changes. Existentially, I think we all know that everything our own lives even will come to an end, that our days will one day come to a close. And so life becomes this slow arc of an ending. And if we're conscious of this, if we live consciously that there is an end, then we tend to live our lives in certain ways. Um, Poet Bradford Smith wrote, no one has reached maturity until he has learned to face the facts of his own death, and shaped his own way of living. What's that last word? Accordingly. Now, everybody's accordingly is not always the same. Some, when they come to grips with the imminent end that we all face, some seek a life of just pleasure. Just drink it all in. Control life so that it pleases me. Some seek a life of accomplishments and legacy. I call these immortality symbols that we think somehow if we accomplish this and leave a legacy, then we won't be forgotten. Some seek a life of just wealth and that kind of pleasure. And the list is long, but what is your accordingly? In our reading today, We listen as Paul brings Timothy in on a very personal matter. Paul sees that his days here on earth are coming to a close. And part of this is about Paul's desire to see Timothy again. He says in verse 9, do your best to come see me soon. He wants to see his friend again. But part of this is also a chance for Paul to encourage Timothy and us today as we listen to it about living a life in a way that matters And there's this one line that I want us to reflect on 
uh, for the remainder of our time, and it's where Paul says these words, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Now, this whole text is just Paul bending metaphors, and this is a very powerful metaphor. Now, historically, in an ancient sense, Paul's referring to an act that would take place at the daily sacrifices in the people of Israel's community and life. Paul's referencing the ancient act of pouring out wine at the base of the altar. It is the final act of the daily sacrifices that would take place. And so it's Paul's way of saying, of all the sacrifices in my life, as my life itself has been a sacrifice, this is my final act. And so we have this metaphor of Paul pouring out his life at the base of the altar. And it's Paul effectively saying, my life is now at the time of its closing, its final stages. So these aren't just words about the end of his life. They are that. But also about the kind of life Paul has tried to live. And this is where I want us to focus for a few minutes. See, Paul became a follower of Jesus after the resurrection. Before that, he wanted nothing to do with the people of the Jesus community. And his conversion to Jesus was, if you know the story, it was a complete 180 from his former way of life. And because of that, Paul's trajectory from that moment on was based on the grace and the mercy of God in his life. The people and the Savior whom he once hated became his Lord. And from that point forward, Paul felt like he had to pay back the whole world with the grace and the mercy that God had shown on his life. That's a pretty good calling. Here's what Paul says in a speech to the elders at the church of Ephesus in Acts 20, verse 24. He says, I do not account my life of any value nor precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel. And I put the definition of what that word means, the good news of the grace of God. What Paul is saying is, as best I could, I've lived out my days as a sacrifice given for the world. And whatever God has poured into me, grace, mercy, renewal, forgiveness, salvation, I have done what I could to pour those things back out into the lives of those around me. And so Paul's letting Timothy know, my days are coming to a close. While at the same time, not in a proud way, but in an honest way, Paul's saying, but my whole life has been one slow drain on my life, on my spirit, on my physical nature, that I have just given my whole self to this calling, to let the world know that God doesn't hate them and that he loves you and that there is grace and mercy at the foot of the cross. And I think this passage invites us to ask questions about priorities. What matters most to me in this life? What matters most to God for me in this life? These words being poured out like a drink offering, again, they're not just about an ancient sacrificial practice, nor are they only about the ending of a life, but they also form this image of the kind of life we are encouraged to live, a life that pours out into the world. 
If you were here last Sunday, uh, I, I made a soft announcement about the coming year is going to be a year where we as a church uh, promote, resource, encourage, challenge, and celebrate a life of good works, that you and I would uh, find ways to be used in the worlds that we all inhabit, not just in this building, but mostly away from this building, your places of work, your families, your neighborhoods, uh, your friendships, that we would begin to listen closely to how God would want us to take what's in us and pour out into the people around us, to think about all the ways that we might do good works in the world. And I'm excited about that. I mean, even during communion last week, I mean, it's post-sermon, right after the sermon, I'm still getting a breath, you know? People are coming up to me and saying, this is what I want to do. I'm like, that's fast. I love it. Way to go. Um, you win. And then people emailing me. I'm really excited about whatever it is that we're going to be challenged to do. And I want you to think about all the ways that your life is full. Think about that. How is your life full? Think about all the accomplishments and the satisfying arrivals you've experienced in your life. Examine those. Examine the depths of your friendships and the rewards of family and friends. What Paul encourages here is that we tip our lives over just enough that the blessings we've experienced and that we cherish can spill out into the world around us. To live the kind of life that interprets fullness as something to be shared. So what does that look like for you? What might God be encouraging you to do for other people? Like when you look around your immediate world, what moves you? What always seems to capture your attention? What sifts your heart? Now for some of you, this may mean, and again, this is just a soft commercial. For some of you, this may mean that you start pouring your life into your family, which has until now been an area of neglect. Maybe that's what God's calling you to do. The people closest to you. And I think what you'll find as I move through some of these examples is that none of these are world-changing behaviors. I think we've had enough of let's go change the world. Because who can really do that? Not to bring you down, but I'm a Gen Xer. I can say these things. <laughs> it's all for nothing. Just put on the cure and keep rolling. But it's true. Most of us are uh, fatigued by inspiration. It's just too much. And most of us just have normal day-to-day -day lives with people and jobs and cars that need work and bills that need paying, much less whatever I can do in some other part of the world. But for some of you, it's just as simple as looking around your home and pouring your life back into your family. For some of you, this may mean that you find ways to build a culture of service into your company. But you know, we have people in this church family who 
took up this challenge many, many years ago. And the companies that they lead cultivated a, a, a service culture. And what I mean by that is not that they just encourage that, but they stop work for a day every now and then and send their staff out to serve. Maybe you can do that. Or maybe for you it might mean that you walk into uh, the office of Focus Community Strategies here in Atlanta where we do a lot of support work for them. And they do so much to bring renewal to distressed neighborhoods. But they need so much help. And maybe for you, you walk into their offices and say, here's my credentials, here's my expertise. Put me in a place where I'm needed. Or you find an ongoing volunteer need at places like Atlanta Mission or City of Refuge. And you commit to doing that for one year. That you show up and you learn names it's a whole different ballgame when we serve the homeless food, but when we know their names, everything changes. Or maybe for you, you say to yourself, you know, three years in this church without lifting a finger is long enough. I would agree. <laughs> and for you, it's just simply the phone call, Derek, what can I do around here? It's very rare that I say, I think we're good. Very rare. So look around your immediate world and begin to examine that. Uh, Instagram just told me this morning that I spend 1.18 hours a day on their app. So that's like around nine hours a week. That tells me several things, sad things. <laughs> the most important of which is this. I do have time. I've got plenty of time. Most volunteers in this church at the highest level serve two hours a week here. And that means prepping, showing up, cleaning up, and leaving. That's it. Nine hours. Maybe your Instagram data is higher than that. I hope not. I hope I'm the worst in the room, you know? Now, some of that's church-related because, you know, we got to get that out, you know? Go away, I'm working on a story <laughs> that 47 people will view. <laughs> and I got to think that people view my stories like I view their stories. Because <laughs> you know you can't view the first two bars and then eject because they're going to know. They're going to what did he not like about the third bar? Why did he get out of the story? I just hit it until I get to an ad. <laughs> Oreos, I'm out, okay. You know what I'm talking about. But I do have time and you have time. And Paul talks about making sure that our life is one that pours out. The ancients had a term for this. They had a term for living a life of sacrifice and it's called the cruciform life or the crucified life. It's a life that mirrors the sacrificial life of Jesus, the crucified way of living. And Paul's words here are very contrarian. And let me close with this. Our world says to us in so many ways, drink it all in. Get all you can get. You get one chance. But Paul whispers a different way. 
and says, pour it all out. Die tired and empty. This is what the Lord requires, that we would find a way to tip our lives over. And with whatever fullness lives in us, ultimately the fullness of God's grace and mercy, that we find ways to extend that to those around us. Amen?